Well, we're going to have our Bible reading just now. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're actually going to read from verse 1 of chapter 6 and then a little bit into from uh, verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, it's page 970 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, We've been going through the commandments in the mornings and we had a really careful schedule all worked out running up till Christmas. And then we realized that uh, a couple of Sundays ago, we had uh, Remembrance Sunday, we had Communion, and we had the Seventh Commandment, do not com- seventh commandment, do not Commit Adultery, all coming together in one morning. And we thought that was too many themes to try and sort of pull together. So, so we changed things around a wee bit, and that's why we're looking at one of the commandments. Uh, tonight, we're looking at the Eighth Commandment, Do Not Steal, You Shall Not Steal. Now, we are going to pick up uh, the Seventh Commandment next weekend, uh, both morning and evening. We're going to look at sort of marriage in the morning and purity in the evening. And, and that's going to be a, a sort of a theme that's going to run through next Sunday, next weekend altogether. But this evening, we're looking at uh, uh, Thou shalt not steal. And, and, and uh, we're particularly looking now at, at what Jesus says about both giving and about our treasure in the Sermon on the Mount. So he, here's uh, Matthew chapter 6. We remember this is God's Word. It's Jesus speaking. It's, it's the Word of God. And We're going to read the first few verses of Matthew chapter 6. Be careful, Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now let's look over to verse 19, the top of the next page, 971. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen. We trust that God will help us as we hear his word uh, this evening. Well, we're, we're turning then to that commandment. And uh, if you are uh, a regular here, you, you'll have, you'll have uh, maybe been here in the mornings when we've been working our way through that. And uh, here we are with this question of stealing. And of course, it, it, it links in with the very last commandment, which is about covetousness. And you see that that's even reflected in the things that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, sometimes people read through the commandments, and, and uh, you, you remember you've used the illustration before about going to the, the auto bank when you know you've got no money and you don't want to see your balance, and you, you, you sort of feel guilty even as you, you look at them. And sometimes we read through the commandments, and we're looking for a straw to grasp, and sometimes people grasp onto this straw, and they think, Do you know what, uh, I know that, that uh, some of the other commandments I'm not so good on, but this one, well, you know, I 
try not to steal stuff, you know. I usually go through the checkouts at Tesco's. That's my normal pattern. And uh, you sort of think that, that I'm doing okay. But, but as we've seen with so many of the other commandments, as we start to, to explore their full reach, we see that they expose our hearts. And I think we'll see something of that tonight. Now, of course, if we don't think we're stealing, we have to acknowledge that somebody is stealing because our lives are absolutely affected by the fact that people take stuff. We lock the doors of our house. And even as I say that, I know some of you are going to go, did I lock my house tonight? <laughs> um, we, we, we maybe have an alarm system. We, we, we lock our car whenever we're not in it. Maybe even whenever we are in it. We have uh, insurance, perhaps. We, we shred our papers with our names on them in case somebody steals our identity. And we're suspicious from John from the Windows Technical Department who phones to say that there's a problem with my Apple computer. And uh, if I would just give him my bank details, he'll fix it for me. He, he knows my number. He phones me every week. John from the Windows Technical Department. So theft is all around us, and, and protecting ourselves against it has become so normal that, that it's, it's just the way that we live. And of course, everybody believes that stealing is a bad thing, and, and, and the, even people who have no time for, for God, they, they, they say, well, do you know, I, I know that, that it's a good thing if people respect other people's stuff. Now, now, maybe it's worth just pausing there and thinking a little about that, because sometimes people say, you know, remember we've said that the commandments are sort of broken into these two sections, one that, that primarily talk about our duty to God and the others that primarily talk about our duty to people. And, and those two things, of course, are incredibly connected in our thinking. But sometimes people say, well, we, we sort of like the commandments that are to do with people. We know that the world would, would go better if people didn't murder, if they didn't steal, if people were truthful and so on. But, but let's forget about God. But the trouble is, the, the, these things all hang together. And, and I remember whenever I was a, a student hearing a chap who came along and said that some of the world's philosophies, the world wants to say, we want some sort of morality, but we, we, we want to keep God out of it. And, and he described it as a cut flower philosophy. You know what cut flowers are. You, you, you cut your flowers out of the, the garden or wherever you, you get them from, and you put them into a vase, and, and, and they last for a while. But because they have no root, they will quickly weather. They, they're going to disappear. And, and that's exactly how it is with a, trying to have a morality without God. We, 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 there's no real basis for, for saying what's right or wrong. You see, if we leave God out of the picture, we can't really say ought. People ought to. Because if you don't have God, if you don't have someone to refer to, then there's really no ought. So the commandments hang together, and these ones that are to do with our, our duty to other people really depend upon also our duty to God. So what about this commandment? Well, we've said before that the commandments both sometimes prohibit something negative, but where they do, they imply something positive. Uh, so the catechism, larger catechism says, where sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. So here there's a very obvious negative, but there's also a positive <coughs> about how we use things and property. And we're going to see that, I think, tonight. We're going to use very simple, three simple titles. What we should not do, how we should what we should do, and then how we do it, okay? What we shouldn't do, what we should do, how we do it. What we shouldn't do, well, very obviously, commandment is saying, do not steal, you shall not steal. And, and there are all sorts of ways, and some of these ways are reflected in the scriptures, all sorts of ways in which 
this commandment reaches further than we might think immediately. It clearly involves the taking of somebody's property. Somebody breaks into your home and takes something. It refers to that. It refers to the destruction of property as well. So somebody vandalizes something, even if they don't take it. It refers to that as well. And maybe whenever we think about that, you've lost something or something has been taken from you. You know that sort of sickening feeling. There's something, something really deeply wrong about it that that's, goes deeper than just the, the loss of the item itself. Maybe it's not worth all that much, but, but you feel really, you know, people use that word, violated as, as something's been taken from them. Why is that? Well, well, that's because God has designed us to own stuff or at least to look after stuff. When our first parents were put in the garden, they were given the job of stewarding the garden, of looking after stuff in the garden. And and they were there to to care for things. And and therefore, that desire that you have to collect or to acquire something of that, now it's very twisted sometimes in us, but something of that is a reflection of how God has made us as people way that we are made to be stewards. And so, so people joke about, about retail therapy, about you know, going out to, to get things and, and somehow feeling better. Well, there's a, there's a little echo there of the fact that God has designed us to be stewards. Now, it's, it's a twisted and a, a broken echo, but it's, it's there nonetheless. Of course, the, the less personal stealing becomes, the easier it is. We, we steal more easily from councils and big firms and hospitals and all sorts of things. And stealing from the government is almost a, a pastime. Taxes are fiddled, income not declared, and so on. All of that uh, broadly comes under that title of stealing. And then there's all those scams and, and uh, uh, so on, uh, the, the identity theft and all of those things, all of those uh, dealings in counterfeit goods and all of that. There's an old picture, I couldn't find a copy of it, but there's an old picture of a, a, a woman in a bygone age uh, buying uh, vegetables from a grocer. And, and she, she is uh, dealing with a grocer and the grocer's got these big scales, you know, the, the old ones that your granny had uh, with the two pans in them and so on. And the picture shows them laughing as if they're just talking about the weather or whatever. But as you look more closely, uh, the, the, the grocer is pressing down on one of the pans and, and she is pressing up in underneath it. And, and, and that's the way that trade sometimes works, isn't it? We, we want more than we deserve, or we want to charge more than, than should be deserved. And all of that comes under this idea of stealing. Plagiarism, we steal others' work. We don't attribute to it. Many, many ministers lose their jobs for preaching other people's sermons. It's, it's stealing. But then, then, of course, we can expand it beyond things, can't we? Because we can steal ter- t- time. Uh, one recent survey found that, that 20% of employees' time is wasted. So uh, you, you notice when people post all those things on Facebook, it's right in the middle of the working day, isn't it? And, and uh, uh, they're taking time from their uh, employers. You imagine you, you go to the greengrocers and you see that same greengrocer today and, and you say, I'd like 10 apples, please. And he, he gives you eight apples, but he charges you for 10 apples. You say, what, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm treating you the same way that you treat your employer. I'm giving you sort of 80% of, of what you've paid for. The extended breaks, the sick days that are pulled when people are not sick at all. And, of course, it works the other ways. When, when employers are unfair in the way that they treat their workers or exploit their legal loopholes to avoid redundancy payments and so on as well. All of this 
coming under stealing. We might talk about stealings, stealing other people's reputations and so on as well. But the Bible also talks then about stealing from God. And you wonder, well, how on earth can you steal from God? Well, we can steal from him whenever we uh, uh, rob him of the honor and the devotion that's due to him. We, we can uh, steal from him whenever we go our own way and, and we, we build our lives on our own foundations rather than on the foundation that he has provided for us. That's tailing from God. And uh, in Malachi, God is speaking, and he addresses the, the issue of stealing with giving. This is what he says. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. So you know in the Old Testament there was that clear principle of a tithe. A tenth of what we earned as income was to be given to God, specifically to the the work of God in the temple and the worship and so on. And here in in Malachi, that was not being done. People had put their own priorities above that, and and, uh, God says, you're robbing me. And in the New Testament, the situation is slightly modified. A tithe is not laid down as a, a binding requirement, it seems, on the New Covenant people. But if anything, the, the, the expectations are that God's people will be even more generous. We'll maybe say a word about that later. And so in all these ways, as we start to unpack this commandment, as we do with the others, we start to realize that, that if we're grasping on to, to this to say, well, I'm okay here, well, it's sort of pulls the rug from under us, doesn't it? Paul actually says that at the beginning of Romans as he's saying, do you know what? We're all in trouble with God. And he says in Romans 2.21, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? In other words, he just recognizes that, that though we might condemn it in others, as we, as we look at it a little bit more closely, we realize that we fall foul of God's standards here too. And we've seen that in all of the commandments, haven't we? We are, uh, to some degree, idolaters, blasphemers, Sabbath breakers, parent dishonorers, and so on. Now we're, we're thieves as well. So, so that's what we should not do. We should not steal, God says. So, so what, what, should we, what should we do? Well, you remember that we've said commandments both Uh, forbid some sin, but they also imply some duty. That's the case here. So it's not just enough to stop stealing. There's something we should go on to do. And and Paul makes that really clear in Ephesians 4.28. He says to the Ephesian church, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, Paul wouldn't have had to have written this if this wasn't a a problem in the Ephesian church. And we imagine that maybe some of the situation was that, that some of the folk were from a slave background and they, they, they had been uh, feeling that it was within their rights to, to take what they could from their masters. Everybody was doing it. They'll never miss it and so on. And you can imagine the arguments that might have built up. But Paul says, no, 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 you're stealing and you must stop stealing. But then he says, you must go on to do something useful with your hands that you may have something to share with those in need. And, and here's the, the sort of the, the thinking, the Bible's thinking about what our stuff is for. We are stewards of stuff. God intends us to look after things, but so that it might be useful for those in need. 
In other words, God's people are to be generous people. That, that, that's the point of having things. It's the point of being a steward. We're, we're, to, we're to look after uh, what God has given us so that it might be used with his priorities in mind. So Christians should be the most generous people about. We, we, we spoke earlier about uh, not robbing God by not, or by giving to the Lord's work as we, as we should. On, on Thursday night, we talked at a session about some, I think, really exciting plans for Hill Street to play its part in encouraging a whole new uh, batch of gospel workers. We'll hear more about that, hopefully, in, in weeks to come. But the question of finance emerged, and we ended up talking about that for a little while. And, and, and it became clear that, that, that by the way, uh, the, the the givings of the congregation are, are, are confidential and secret and so on. And the elders, I don't know what those are. But, but it, it is apparent that, that there, are, there is a large number of uh, people who are giving at a lower level and a small number of people who are really carrying the burden of the work here. And it may be that that large number of people are giving to other things, but I think the, the case should be made that, that the bulk of our giving should be channeled through the, the local church. Whenever we join the church, if we're members, we, we promise to give a, a, what the, the, the vow says, a fitting proportion of our time and talents and money to support the Lord's work. And, and let's just think about that phrase and, and, and ask ourselves, we, we need to ask ourselves this regularly, are we giving a fitting proportion? Is what we're giving fitting in terms of what the Lord has done for us? Now, now let me tell you why, why that's really important to say. And, and we haven't said that a lot. <clears throat> if you're here for the first time, you think, <clears throat> oh, just uh, underlined all my preconceptions about the church. They're only interested in money. Well, we haven't talked about this for years. So, so uh, you've just been unfortunate in the, in the evening that you've chosen to come. But but let's say why this is important. Jesus talked about, about serving God and mammon, serving God and money. And you said, you, you can't do it. You can't serve these two masters. And, and, and as he was saying that, he's recognizing that there's, there's a call on our hearts to call us away from serving the Lord. Money is going to be one of those things that calls us away from serving the Lord. Now, that, that's always been there right through human history. But I'm not sure that it's ever been more pointed than it is in our materialistic generation. And so there's, a, there's a, a call on your heart to turn away from the Lord, and my heart too, to turn away from the Lord and to put money in the place that God should be in. And the antidote for that, the, the medicine for that is to give. Whenever we give, we are saying Lord, this world does not have my heart. You have my heart. That's really, really important. We've got to remember that. So, so it's a medicine for us in a world that revolves on greed. But it's also actually a witness as well. I, I remember years ago, I was in First Portadown actually, and uh, I, I went to a bank and I sat down to do one of those sort of financial assessment things. It didn't take them very long. 
And uh, I, I, I was chatting with the chap, and they said, you know, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm an assistant minister. I work in a church down the road. He goes, there's not a, a lady in there called so-and-so, is there? And I said, well, actually, yes, there is. And he said, I said, why do you ask? He said, well, she's, I just dealt with her this morning. And he was a youngish chap. He probably hadn't been doing this for all that long. But he, he, he sat down in his pen. He says, you know, a really remarkable lady. You know, she came in here and she sat down. I'm sure he was breaking all sorts of confidential, confidentiality agreements. But, but uh, he, she, she came in, she sat down, and he put his pen down. She, she sat down and she said, you know, I just want you to sort me out. I'm getting older. And all I want to do is to live and to give. He says, never met anybody like that. I want to live and to give. So it's quite rare, isn't it, how we use our money? It's quite rare. T- Tim Keller often says that, that uh, the thing that marks this, generos- this, this generation is that we are promiscuous with our bodies, but we're stingy with our money. And, and Christians, he says, are to be exactly the other way around. We're to be stingy with our bodies. We're to be promiscuous with our money. So it's a witness. We should be generous people. Well, I know we say, oh, yeah, I get that. I really get that. How do we do that? That's the last thing. Here's a quote from Robert Murray McShane. The first thing is to say is we need a new, we need a new heart. Just, just begrudgingly putting our hand in our pockets will not make us generous people. God needs to do that in our, in our hearts. Here's a quote from old minister in Dundee, Uh, Robert Murray McShane. He said, I fear there are many hearing me who now know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, you better enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly. For I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Now, what he was saying is, look, you know, if you, if you have a heart that really just wants to hang on to everything, it may be that you're just not a believer. That, that, that as Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, and actually you're serving uh, something else. So, so the first thing to, to be that sort of generous person is, is to have God in the rightful place in, his, in, in your life, to have a new heart. But, you know, Jesus does that for us. Jesus takes people who are money-centered and makes them God-centered. You know the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament where, where, where Zacchaeus is, is a money-lender. He, he's, a, he's a swindler. He, he's the guy from the Windows technical department who's phoning you up and, and telling you there's a, com- a problem with your computer. Uh, <clears throat> and then he meets Jesus and he becomes the most generous person imaginable. Isn't it interesting that that there was one truly generous person in this world who never stole, never stole things or reputations or time or whatever. He always gave fully what he ought. It was Jesus. What, what did they do to him? They, they crucified him. And where did they crucify him? Between two thieves. Isn't that interesting? He was crucified. He was treated like a thief in order that he might save thieves like you and me. God allowed his son to take the place of a thief so that your sin, my sin, could be forgiven and we could be rescued. 
So, so there's the first start. You know, if you, you know that your heart's all bound up and tight and me-focused, well, you, you don't need to just turn over a new leaf. You, you need to get a new heart. You, you need Jesus in your life. You need him to give you a new heart. But what if we know that we're Christians, we've been following Jesus for a while, and, and we just struggle with, well, we'll see it at the end of the commandments, coveting, we find it hard to be as generous as we should. Well, well maybe if we were to allow the Bible to analyze what's going on with it, it would say to us, look, what Jesus has done hasn't really sunk in with you. You've forgotten it. You know in your head, but it's not controlling how you live. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's encouraging them to help their Jewish brothers and sisters who were living through a famine. And this is what he says. He says, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, "'You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ,' that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So, so Paul's reminding them of the gospel, and he could have said, look, you've really been a stingy bunch, but he, he doesn't just say that. He, he says so much more. He says, look, this is a spiritual issue. You, you're, you're, you've got to look at Jesus. Look at what he did. He was rich. He had everything. He had it all. All belonged to him. But he became poor. He, he laid aside his glory. He came for the glory from the glory of heaven to the squalor of a stable. And he came from being the very center of heaven's praises to being the object of scorn on a cross. He said, look at Jesus. Let that sink in. Think about what he has done for you. And as you see that, as, as that grabs you, as you get up in the morning and you say, Lord, just thank you. Thank you for, for saving me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. It's hard to walk through that day with a stingy spirit, isn't it? Because you know that Jesus has been incredibly generous to you. So how, how do we become these people? Well, we need a new heart. We need Jesus to live in us. And we need the magnitude of what he has done for us to be fresh with us day by day. When I think back to that lady who said, I just want to live and give, I know that, that, that Jesus was fresh with her day by day. She walked with him. She's with him now. That's what makes us generous people. Bible says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Let's pray for a moment together. Lord, we feel the effects on our heart of living in this materialistic world and culture. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. 
Help that, Lord, not to be only a theory for us, but something that shapes our hearts, melts our hearts, controls our lives, that we might be like Him, full of generosity. We pray in His name. Amen.